listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Your name is powerful, it is mighty, and you are strong to save. And God, we even have heard the testimonies of how you have saved Jared and Sarah, how you have saved each one who has come to that point who has said, I'm done with my own ways, I'm done with my sin, and I ask you, Jesus, to be the forgiver, to be my Savior, to be my Lord, to be my Master, and I desire to follow you. And when that happens, oh God, something changes drastically in the spiritual realm and in our own heart as we say yes to you and we have the the power and the strength that is available to us because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And we have so much to celebrate in this. And even we think of those whose lives right now are being torn apart and ripped apart in the war that is taking place in Ukraine, the war that is happening in other people's lives and other parts of the country, there as well as all around the world, we see hurt, we see brokenness, we see confusion. And God, you are the only answer. You are the one that we can be be reconciled to. And then we start to see that God... You work out in all things for our good. And that good, ultimately, it's not here on this earth. The best, the good that can ever happen is eternity with you. And so, God, we work and we strive to be faithful until that day. But until then, we need your power, your strength. And would you give that to us today as we look to your word to not only hear it, but to also respond to it and apply it to our lives. Do a good work in each one of our lives this day, we pray. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And let's get to it. it. All right, now open up your Bibles and let's get to it, to to Philemon chapter 1. Philemon, we are in our our last last message in this short little mini-series from this amazing book. And this letter that was written. And so if you don't have a Bible this morning, I encourage you to raise your hand. The ushers will put a, a Bible in your hand. Would love for you to follow along so it's not just me saying it, but you can see it. You can read along with. You can follow along. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home with you as, the, as a gift from the Lord. That is his word, and we want to share it, and we want to proclaim it. And so uh, the book of Philemon, it's a small little book. First and Second Timothy, you'll see that towards the end of the New Testament. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone a bit too far. It's Philemon is right before that. Those of you joining us online, we welcome you as well, but make sure you have your Bibles. Run right now, get your Bibles, turn it to Philemon, because this is an important word that we have from God's word for us here today. Now, this letter, it was written by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. And, and you can see a map there where Rome is and where it was sent to. It was, this letter was then sent a thousand miles to the city of Colossae, to the church that was gathered there in Philemon's house. So this letter had uh, some serious distance to be able to travel in order to get to Philemon's house and in order for them to read this letter to the church that gathered in his house. Philemon is a story. It's a story as we've been going through the last number of weeks of the Apostle Paul, a once persecutor of the church, a persecutor of Christians who gave approval and then stood and he watched as Christians like Stephen was, was, was stoned to death. He gave the approval and was out to stomp out Christianity, the people of the way. He was out to destroy them. But the grace of God, but only by the grace of God, he is now turned pastor, apostle, church planter, missionary, 
author of Scripture. And even now in this book, we see a prisoner for Jesus Christ in a Roman prison. Now, what a reminder this is to us today, isn't it? That there are no hopeless cases. You think someone in your life, your family, your work, your neighborhood, in this world, in politics, is hopeless and beyond repair? Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul is one of those proud, arrogant, strong Pharisees, so strong and right in his convictions, but had that Jesus moment where Jesus impacted his life and he responded to the gospel call on his life. There are no hopeless cases, amen? There are no hopeless cases, amen? Amen, yeah, that's for sure. Then we have Philemon, the businessman, the homeowner from Colossae, who was known to have this huge heart. He was known to be a refresher, a, a real encourager, hosted the house along, hosted the church in his house along with his wife, Aphia. Then we have Onesimus, and, and, and he was at one point a, a worker for Philemon, but he ran away, stealing from his boss. And he took off to Rome. He took off a thousand miles away, hoping to run away from, from Rome or from his boss, from Colossae. But he ran right into the arms of Jesus, thinking that, that he would escape. But instead, he found true life. He found, found the freedom of forgiveness. He most importantly met Jesus Christ. And then he also met somewhere along there, he met the Apostle Paul. Now, all of these men have a salvation story. They all came to the point where they confessed their sins, they repented, and they made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, to commit to him as their Lord and Savior. All of these three men were justified by faith, declared righteous before God. They were saved. All three of these men experienced the forgiveness of sins. The penalty of their sin had been removed by Jesus Christ at the moment of their salvation. I trust this is your salvation story, that this has happened in your life. If not, this is the day to make that happen. Everything in your life and your eternity will change as a result of a decision like that. It changed the life. Jesus Christ changed the life of Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. But what they also had in common is that their lives were intersected to one another. You see, the gospel isn't just simply a story that goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saves a wretch like me. That's, there's more to the gospel story than that. The gospel is about a continuing, transforming power of Christ in our lives, bringing the most unlikely people together and bringing them together in unity. You see, our faith in Jesus Christ, to be in Christ, is not a private matter. You might think it is. It's personal. It's a personal decision that we make, but it's not private. When we are brought into Christ, we are brought into his family to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the blood of Christ coursing through our veins. Romans chapter 12 says that we are members of one another. Just look around the room. Go ahead. You can look around the room. You can do a, you know, even do a whatever, however far your neck will turn. Look around the room. I mean, here we are together in this room, and it's an odd group of people. It really is. You are. 
I mean, we have funny people here. We have weird people. We have wealthy. We have not so wealthy. We have old. We have young. We have tall ones. We have vertically challenged ones. We have large people. We have smaller people. We have laborers and housewives and business owners and students and, and, and retirees. And we have those who are athletic and some who aren't very athletic. We have people with various skin colors and hair colors and fake hair colors. We have all kinds of different social opinions. This is us, folks. This is us in the body of Christ. I think I've described at least each one of you in some little portion here. We are family in Christ. But here's the thing. With all of the diversity in this room, yet because of our sinful and our selfish nature, we still have a battle within and that battle within means that we're going to have a battle with other people. There will be offenses, and there will be sin, and there, there will be hurts caused by one another, caused by you, that will affect the unity of your relationships, the unity of your family, the unity of the body of Christ. Misunderstandings and differences. And oh, how the devil just loves to stir the pot. And yet... That's a reality, but the thing that gets me excited, dear church, and, and if we grab hold of this and understand this, this is so amazing, that in the church, in the people, in the people of God, where, where members see themselves as members of one another in the body of Christ, not just merely familiar strangers, but see ourselves in deepening, growing relationships, in a deepening, growing relationship first with Christ, but then with one another, how we need one another in the body of Christ, where people see themselves in a mirror of the gospel, not in a mirror of themselves, but in a mirror of what Jesus Christ has done. The local church, the believer, the member in, in, in the family of God that gets that and understands that will be life-giving people and have life-giving relationships and will prove wonderfully attractive to a broken and a messed up world. That's what can happen when we work through relational difficulties. You see, church isn't just simply about butts in the seat or how many views we have online. It's not about traditionally the ABCs of church, which is the mark oftentimes it seems in North America of a successful church. What are the ABCs? Attendance, buildings, and cash. That's not the mark of an effective church. That is not the mark of the effective body of Christ, of what God's word calls us to be a part of. What is effective and what the body of Christ is to be about is a deepening, authentic, gospel-centered relationships where we are growing together in the word of God, where we're growing together in our relationships, where we serve, love, and get to know one another. And this is more essential than ever. These are the days that we need to grab hold of these truths. These are the days that we don't run from the body of Christ. We don't become an island unto ourselves. And COVID has done a nasty deal on that, teaching us that online church can be, oh, I can just, I can just zoom in or I can just go onto YouTube. I can just click on hopeclona.ca. I can stay in bed and watch church from home. No, we have the online because we want people who are unable to, to join with us on a Sunday for good reasons, not for consumeristic or convenience reasons, because the body of Christ needs to gather to be together, not just on a Sunday, but in groups together in the lives of one another. 
And, and God's word tells us in Hebrews that we are to be gathering and we are to be working out these issues and our relationships all the more as we see the day approaching. And is the day of Christ's return approaching? You better believe it is. We are seeing things happen in, in warp speed, it would seem, that would just, j- just cause us to see that these are, we're nearing the day. And one can have strong theology. One can have great Bible knowledge. You can be passionate about current events and end times activities that are outlined in the Word of God. But when we neglect the deepening gospel relationships that God has placed us in and has placed around for us, where we are known and where we know others, where we are living with, with, with broken people, but we are desiring to grow and to become better and experience God's blessing in and through that brokenness and God's healing. When we are avoiding that, we are weak and we are ineffective and we are dangerously in down the road going to experience personally and even corporately the consequences of that. Back to Philemon. We see these three men individually born again, saved in Jesus Christ, but these three men being saved have had a dust-up, just as what commonly happens within the body of Christ, commonly what happens in our families. There was a dust-up, something happened, a great offense had taken place, and this relationship circle or triangle was a little messy. This is a book that is so beautiful in the Word of God. This is the book that, that allows us to, to see the standard, but even the process of how we can go about growing and rebuilding gospel relationships. How we are to act and react, and what we are to live for and pursue when the dust-ups and the disagreements and the division and the offenses happen. And they're sure to happen, aren't they? They sure are. In week one of this series, we, we got a snapshot of Philemon, the faithful man of God who came to faith under the ministry somehow of the Apostle Paul years earlier and now is this encourager, this refresher, this great man of God. And then last week we looked at Onesimus, the runaway, the, who ran from his boss, from his master, and even apparently stole from him and took off a thousand miles away to Rome into the saving arms of Jesus and becomes a dear friend to the Apostle Paul. Both of these had, had these cross points with the Apostle Paul and he had deep friendship and relationship with, it, with him. But more importantly, all of these three men were together in Christ. And from Paul's perspective, I mean, each one of them, Onesimus, Philemon, they were the real deal. They were quality. They, their conversion experience, it wasn't just this nice, say the prayer you're in, get dunked, yay, I can go live my life. No, there was a quality to these men. They were a refresher. They were an encouragement. They meant so much to the Apostle Paul, but to others around them. But there was an outstanding offense between them. And so Paul writes this letter from prison because he can't go. He, he'd go there if he could, but he couldn't. And so he sends this letter. He writes this letter and he sends it with Tychicus. And he sends Onesimus back to do the right thing, to go and to ask for forgiveness, to go and to be reconciled. Now today we're going to pick up the story starting in verse 17. You can follow along in the word of God. Paul is essentially saying here in, in, in these remaining verses that we, that we see is, is what we say at the start of all of our messages, it seems, is let's get to it. He comes to the big so 
in verse 17. So, Onesimus, so Philemon, based on who you are, what Christ has done in your life, so let's get to it. Let's get to this forgiveness and reconciliation. So, in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repair it, repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm so confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will even do more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Now, in these verses, Paul is saying, let's get to it. We see four imperatives, four commands that we must pay attention to when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation. This is the hows and the whys of forgiveness and reconciliation. The first one, we receive because we've been received. Look what it says in verse 17. If you, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now, there's been a breakdown in the relationship. Onesimus has run away, leaving his boss in a bind and apparently, allegedly, stealing from his, him as well. Philemon has every right to be hurt, to be ticked off, to be offended because he's been violated, he's been let down. He's been a bit of an embarrassment, even no doubt within the church community and within, in, in the business community of, of having a runaway slave. Now Philemon, before God, in his heart, more than likely, quite possibly, the kind of character we read about him, he quite possibly is already forgiven Onesimus, knowing that he'll probably never ever see him again. It's like, I need to forgive this and I just need to move on. Yet Paul is asking Philemon to do something else that is quite honestly not natural, it's not normal, it's not second nature to us, it is supernatural. He's asking him to do something that is completely, totally supernatural. And he says, Receive him, welcome him, receive him as you would receive me. Now, I need someone to come up here and help me. Um, Jared, you were up here once already. You might as well come up here and just make it, you know, make it the daily double. Um, come on up here, all right. So, so when Paul says, you can just come and stand right here. When, when Paul says, receive Onesimus, it's not like, you know, two guys just passing around, hey, I mean, and, and then we go on. I mean, that's a lot of conversation for a lot of men, right? You know, or, uh, or maybe it's like, hey, Jared, hey, good to going? see you. You know, kind of like what we can do in church, and, and that is just that nice little handshake. Good to see you today. Yeah. yeah. That's not what he talks about when he says receive him. When he talks about receiving him, he's like, over here, you big <laughs> And he's just like, and, and he's like, and even give him that holy, because they were supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss you know, back in the day, and, and it was like, come on, buddy, let's just, you know, and it's that awkward hug in public, whatever it might be, you know, and then you even switch it out and, you know, give it like that. I mean, this is from the heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for all your help today, you can keep that baptismal t-shirt too, all right? They can always keep them. Now, this is the kind of love this is the kind of reception that when Paul says, receive Onesimus, when he comes in the back door of the church in Colossae, meeting in Philemon's house, and they see each other, it's not the, 
hey, how's it going? It's not the nice little cordial churchy handshake. It is that from the heart, get over here, you big lug. Let's get at it here and give a great big bear hug to one another. This is what it means to receive from the heart. There's, there's a number of other times that this, is, this word is used in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 14, when Paul said, receive and welcome other believers. Oh, that's easy. No, he goes on and says, you receive and welcome other believers. Romans 14, go home and read this yourself. You don't believe me. You receive and welcome other believers like that. Get over here, you big lug or you little lug or whatever you are, you old lug. Um, uh, and, and, and you say that to those who have differing views than you. Those who you would disagree with in the Lord. You would have certain views that would be different than them. That is how we are to love and to receive one another. Could we put that into practice, church? What would happen if we practiced that? in our church, in our families, with people who have different views than us. Get over here. I'm going to receive you in the Lord. I hope there's a lot of holy hug, hugs taking place after church today. could get weird, but that's okay. I already said there's a lot of weird people here, and that's your pastor's one of them. The other place that he says that is in Romans 15, when he says, welcome one another, receive one another, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you. How has Christ welcomed you? Get over here. With loving arms of forgiveness. He loved us this much, arms outstretched on the cross, didn't he? And it goes on to say, why do we do this? Because it will make us feel good and it will make for a really good God at work story. No, it goes on. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We want God to be big. And his bigness, we want it to be known. And one of the ways that God's bigness, the way that God is known, is how we love and how we welcome one another. We do this for the glory of God. It means swallowing our pride. It means shutting our mouths. It means forgiving. It means reconciling. Now, it's, it's easy and wonderful to receive people who are near and dear to you, but someone who has wronged you, who's hurt you, who's offended, who's run off, who's taken from you, but this is exactly what Christ has done. We receive others because Christ, we've already been received. Because he's received us. He's done this for us. While we are at our worst, the moment of your salvation happened when you were at your worst. Where you understood your fallenness, your brokenness, your inability to be able to save yourself. You understood that you are a sinner heading to the wrath of God one day and going to experience that, and he saved you. He saved us at our worst, and that's when salvation, when we understand our lostness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, and he welcomed us with outstretched arms. Philemon, Paul is saying, remember, Christ has received you, not when you were all cleaned up in this nice businessman who did everything all night. No, he received you when you were messed up and broken. And so therefore, because Christ has received you in this way, be like Christ. Receive Onesimus back. We can receive others because Christ has done this. Last week we talked about you were never more like Christ than when we forgive. You want to be like Christ? We'll never be more like him than when we forgive from the heart. Now I must clarify a few things about forgiveness because some of you, I'm sure the blood pressure is rising and your oxygen levels are changing and that and, and all that because I need to clarify a few things. Forgiveness does not automatically equal trust. 
where there's been hurt, where there's been violation that has taken place. Forgiveness is a position of the heart. Trust is a commodity between you and I. And it needs to, at times, it needs to be rebuilt. Forgiveness, position of the heart, commodity, a trust. I can extend forgiveness, but trust may have to be built and rebuilt over time. Second of all, forgiveness doesn't mean the automatical, automatic removal of consequences. Just because there's forgiveness that has taken place, if there's a cost, if there's a price, it needs to be paid. If there's a penalty, it needs to be fulfilled more than likely in, in certain situations. In this situation, there was an outstanding penalty. We'll see that in a moment. It's like if, if, if I, when I leave the service today, I back my truck up and I hit one of your cars... I saw the way a lot of you drive. I park as far away as possible just so that doesn't happen so you don't hit me. Anyways, but if I backed into one of your cars and, and dented it up pretty good and then I go, whoops, sorry, I did it again and then just kind of, you know, oh well, we'll see you next Sunday. No, there's a consequence to my actions, right? I got I to gotta make sure that gets, we, we go through insurance, we take it to the auto, we get some prices. I work at restoring, reconciling, making that right. It does not mean necessarily the removal of consequences in all situations. Thirdly, forgiveness is not a feeling or a lack of feeling. I'll forgive when I feel good and ready to forgive. Right now, I'm going to wallow in my anger, in my self-pity. I'm going to wallow for a while, and I'll forgive when I feel, nope, not ready, nope, not ready yet, nope, not. You're never going to be ready if that's kind of the basis that we go in. When we are raw, when we are mad, when we are hurting. And sometimes we, we may push it that way, but just because you kind of buried it doesn't mean you've necessarily forgiven. And yet it's in this that, that even though we don't feel like forgiving, we pursue forgiveness and apply the truth of the gospel like we talked about last week. That's where the seven, 70 times 7 where we continue to, to, to commit to this process of choosing to forgive in God's grace, in God's power, so that eventually the feelings may catch up. May catch up. I'm not going to say that they will catch up, but the feelings may catch up, but we do that right thing, that position in our heart of forgiveness. And fourthly, forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Forgiveness at times, sadly, can just be a one-way street where you ask a person for forgiveness and they don't return it. They've offended, they've hurt you, and it's just like you leave it between them and God. You just leave it be. And at other times, it doesn't mean... And reconciliation takes place when both parties humble themselves, come to the table, own their own stuff, not the other person's stuff, but own their own stuff and forgive and work towards reconciling. And so we walk in forgiveness and pursue and pray for reconciliation. That's so important that we know that. And speaking of reconciliation, that takes us to the second command that Paul gives. We reconcile because we've been reconciled. We reconcile with others because we have been reconciled. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul is saying, I want to see the ledger. I want to see this cleared. I want to see a clean slate. First, in your heart, in your mind, in forgiveness, but I also want to see it on paper. I want to make sure that there is forgiveness. In this, Paul, in this way, Paul is teaching and showing and reminding us of the gospel, that, that we reconcile with others because we have been reconciled with God. 
Paul places himself now in the middle as the mediator, so to speak. Look at verse 19. This is cool. Did you know this? He says, I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now, more than likely, so many of Paul's letters, he had somebody writing them for him. They, they believe his eyes weren't so good. He was getting older, and he would have somebody, um, like Timothy. He would have um, some of the others, that would, uh, some of his jail, jailbird buddies there at times writing for him. But at this point, he would have picked up the pen, and he said, I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay. Because in Roman law, in Roman law, a handwritten statement was equivalent to a blank check. And, and, and when he wrote this in his own handwriting and stated this, this is like signing that check. He's saying, charge it to me. Whatever the cost, charge it to me. Paul here is giving us a picture of Jesus Christ and what he's done. We reconcile because Christ has, been, has reconciled us. Christ has cleared you, Philemon, from your record of sin, from the debt that you owed, now, in response, live out the gospel and clear Onesimus from this. Our sin, our offenses, they alienate us from God. They alienate us in a double alienation fashion. All right, this is important that we know this. We are alienated from God because of our sin, and God is alienated from us on account of his wrath. There's double alienation taking place here. And if reconciliation is going to happen between the sinner and God and between God and the wrath that, that we so deserve, someone must pay the price. God must be able to look at the sinner without displeasure and the sinner must be able to look at God without fear. And how does that happen? It happens only through Jesus Christ, the mediator. Jesus Christ, the forgiver the substitutionary atonement of, this, of the Son of God. He stood in the middle. He stood in the gap. And that's what happened with his sacrificial death on the cross. This is referred to as the great exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he became sin who know, knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ stood in our place, our sins imputed to him, and his righteousness imputed to us. Steve Lawson said it like this. At the cross, Jesus wore our filthy rags of sin so that we could be dressed in his spotless robes of righteousness. Beautiful. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. Therefore, we are to be reconciled to one another. Look at verse, the end of verse 19. He says, to say nothing of you, owning me, even your own self, owing me, even your own self, I like this because Paul, it's kind of interesting, kind of funny here. He kind of applies the pressure. It's kind of like twisting his arm now. He says, you kind of owe me, buddy. You know what? Do this for me because remember, I was the one that was instrumental in you coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So you kind of need to, you owe me one here, all right? And that takes us to the third command. We refresh because we've been refreshed. Look at verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is saying, look, you forgive Onesimus. It's not only the right thing to do biblically. It is not only the right thing to do in the gospel, but it's going to be a huge, do me a solid, man. It's going to be a huge blessing to me. This refresh my heart is the splankna that we talked about the last number of weeks. 
This is from the bowels, all right? Kind of gross, but kind of beautiful too. It's like, oh no, you have no idea that when you forgive and when this happens, you have no idea how this is going to make me feel from the core. And then he's basically, this is going to bring so much joy. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you're going to do more than I say. You're going to go over and above. Think in your own life of the people who gave and have given themselves so that you can be refreshed. It can and it should bring such joy to your hearts. It should bring joy, if you're anything alive, it should bring joy to your splantna, all right? That when you start thinking, I think of my grandparents, I think of parents, I think of my in-laws, I think of Charlotte, faithful people in my life who have prayed for me and with me, who have set a godly example in so many ways in their life, in their attitudes, in their actions, have built into my life. I think of Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, godly pastors who have faithfully preached the word of God, godly elders, some of them who I didn't know too well, but they oversaw the churches that I either attended or that I ministered in and and did it with love and care and did it biblically as best as they could. So many people throughout the years who have encouraged, who have prayed, who have served, who have given me wisdom, advice, who have, who have sacrificed for them, who have ministered, faithful people who have ministered and continue to minister alongside of me. I think of theologians and pastors whose teaching and ministry have helped to shape my life. I think of this church. I mean, you refresh me from the uh, splank nut in so many different ways. I think of the, the crew that shows up here early on Sunday morning so that we can be refreshed in the Lord and we are refreshed by their sacrifice. I think of the, the worship and the tech, technical team that, that faithfully serve and give of themselves so we can hear and worship and listen and see all these faithful behind-the-scenes kind of people, those serving in, in Hope Kids out in the clubhouse or downstairs in, in Hope Nursery. I think over and over again, the things that happen that no one even knows about. Friday, right at the point when I was working on this at home in my sermon cave, as I call Fridays, I get a text and this picture sent to me from Brett. Here we have one of the men in our church, one of the behind-the-scenes guy, and, and Brett said, He's been kneeling here for an hour and a half. He says, I have to keep standing up because my knees can't, stay, can't stand it. But, but Al, uh, and, and, and like Al's not a young guy. Like, what are you, 95? No, 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 I'm just kidding. Man, I got to really make a lot of things right now. Anyways, um, and I get this and I see these cables an hour and a half working on this, I don't know, whatever thing down on the floor here. I think that's what it was. So that lights and sound and action and words and all of these kind of things that happen, the faithful, this refreshes me. Does it refresh you? It refreshes me just that sometimes seeing your faces, sometimes I've seen some of your faces leap. No, I'm kidding. You know, we ref- like there's such a refreshing in the body of Christ. And because we have been refreshed, we are then to be refreshers of others. And here Paul is saying, I've been so refreshed by you. I've been so refreshed by Onesimus and by so many others. So now, here, please, Philemon, refresh my heart and take him back and love him and receive him. This takes us to the fourth and final command. Make room, because room has been made for us. Look at verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, 
I will be graciously given to you. He says, get a room ready. I'm coming. I'm coming. You keep praying. You keep praying. I get out of jail. I get out of jail. I'm coming to Colossae and I'm going to see you, buddy. Get a room ready. Make sure the sheets are nice and clean. I'm ready for it after being in prison here for two years. Paul was released from this imprisonment and it is believed that he did go on some more missionary journeys. So more than likely, with his heart, what we see here, more than likely he made it to Colossae. And, and then a short time afterwards, he was imprisoned and then um, beheaded for his faith in the gospel. You know what this is about here when he says, get a room ready? Get a room ready. This is about accountability. This is spiritual accountability. Hey, I'm hoping to come to you soon. I hope I'm coming. And I just love this. This is so important. I mean, there is not a word, there is not a verse in the word of God that is there by accident. Every word, every phrase, every, every point has a point and is so important. This is powerful. Look at what it says in verse 23. Ever see it this way? Bet you haven't. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings. What's Paul doing? He's stacking the accountability deck here. He's turning up the pressure a little bit here because you know who Epaphras is? Yeah, he's a fellow prisoner now with Paul, but prior to this, he was a pastor in Colossae. Hey, Philemon, your old pastor, your pastor of Epaphras is here. He says hi. He's praying for you. He's hoping too that you're going to forgive, praying you do the right thing, putting on a little pressure. Oh, verse 24, keep going. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. They're just here too. We're just having a jail time party here. We're praying about you. We're praying, thinking about you, trusting you're going to do the right thing. Spiritual accountability is incredibly healthy and needed and necessary in our lives. And this is what Paul is saying here. You make room for me because others have made room for you. We need to be accountable here. Having friendships and relationships with brothers and sisters who walk with us, talk with us, know us, pray with us, check up on us. If we are connected to the body of Christ, if we are in Christ, we need to have connections with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Just not a coffee buddy, but people who know us and know the battles and the struggles and can, can, can point us to Jesus, to point us to the word of God. We all need that in these days of our lives. To, to grow in spiritual growth, to grow in forgiveness. We need others in our life in the battles and the struggles with sin, with addictions, with the relational conflict that we have. This isn't just a woe is me kind of time, a place to vent with other believers, but to allow brothers and sisters as we share what's going on in our life, brothers and sisters to speak the word of God to us, to hold our feet to the fire at times in accountability, to pray for us and with us. Help us in taking those next steps to freedom, to forgiveness, to victory over sin, and then to check up on us. That's what Paul is doing here. He's checking up on his dear friend. He says, hey, we're coming. We're praying for you. And yes, accountability, vulnerability can be messy and dangerous and uncomfortable, but it is so valuable and so needed. This is the part of our life together as, our, as a church that is vital. Our small groups Yes, vital for teaching and growing in the word of God, for fellowship and for friendship. Yes, essential, vital. But what is just as vital and important is that mutual ministry time. Some groups do it at the start of their night, some do it at the end. 
where men are together with men, women praying together with women, sharing and praying about those difficult battles. Again, not making a big woe is me. It's like, this is what's going on. I need you to speak God's word, God's truth into my life, and I desire for you to help me walk in obedience and accountability. You say, no, I'm good. I think I'm, no. Well, it's good that you're good, but others around you aren't good. So you need to be there for, other, for others. And then you just wait a few weeks, a few months. You're not going to be good. And you're going to need others who are going to walk with you and stand with you and help you, pray for you and encourage you. We don't run from this. To run from and not pursue this, to not make this a priority in our lives, you say, I'm too busy. No, it's just not a priority in your life. This is, this is point blank essential that we have these kind of relationships in our lives in biblical community, accountability, vulnerability, not just having familiar friends. Because life can become dangerous and harmful if we don't walk in this way with others. Remember, every word matters, every word matters. Verse 24, there's a name there mentioned in the crew, Demas. In Paul's final letter, his last letter that we have in 2 Timothy, he writes these sad words. He says, Demas is gone. Demas has run away. He's forsaken the body of Christ. He's fallen in love with the world. John Calvin said this about Demas. He said, If one of Paul's assistants became weary and discouraged and was afterwards drawn away by the vanity of the world, let none of us rely too much on our own zeal, lasting even one year, but remembering how much of the journey still lies ahead, let us ask God for steadfastness. And brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside to help us in our steadfastness. Demas stands forever, sadly, as a reminder to us to not grow presumptuous, thinking we can do it, we can handle it on our own, because soon we may find ourselves with our face down in the gutter. Now look at verse 25, the last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. When he says you're here, he's now addressing the entire church. This is in plural form. This is going to the entire church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, church. One word warning of Demas to us. One word encouragement to us of where the power comes from. The grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables us because if we've received it, we are now enabled to give it to others, to forgive, to reconcile, to ask for forgiveness, to come and be reconciled. And if we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what God calls for, what he asks us to do, he will provide. He will provide the grace and the strength, empowering us to forgive from the heart and to be reconciled. Because where did this grace first flow? from God the Father through his son Jesus on the cross and now it flows out to us. Let's bow our heads. The band is going to come and in a moment we're going to sing and we're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper. Just with your heads bowed, just going to ask a number of important questions and some things for consideration. As this marvelous letter comes to an end, I'm wondering today, over the last few weeks, who is waiting on the other side of your obedience? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to let go? What situation keeps just grinding the gears of your brain and it's been driving you nuts and you need to forgive?
Who do you need to be reconciled to? To offer, to receive, to give this runaway grace, who do you need to give that to? I believe a beautiful thing happened there in that church in Colossae that day as those two brothers were reconciled. That would have been a hallmark Sunday for sure. Not a dry eye in the house. And this is pretty cool too, biblical history. Documents that later on, there was a pastor in the area by the name of Onesimus. Same guy, we don't know. But we see the power of God in forgiving and restoring. Is there someone you need to forgive from the heart? Is there someone you need to reconcile with? Don't harden your heart. Don't make excuses or wait. Or perhaps God is laying on your heart a situation where, like Paul, you need to broker, you need to mediate some forgiveness and reconciliation between two people who've had a falling out, family members, friends. No, personally, it's dear on my heart. Paul dangerously put himself in the middle between two people, knowing that this could backfire royally, knowing that he could take shots from both sides. But he figured the risk was worth it because he knew it could result in great gospel joy for them, for the church, to a watching world, but most importantly, for the glory of God. Are you running from avoiding spiritual accountability in your life. Don't be a Demas. It's playing with fire and unforgiveness and refusing to reconcile. Lack of accountability is a dangerous path. In a few moments, we're going to ready ourselves. We're, we're going to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. I encourage you in the next few moments to ready yourself where we are reminded that it is from the blood of Jesus, the broken body of our Savior, that his grace flows freely to us. God's word says that we ought to pray and examine our heart, confess any known sin before we partake, to, to eat, to drink in an unworthy way, meaning you're not a follower of Christ or really don't have much of a desire to live for him today, or you're living in just outright sin that you're not willing to deal with. It means to eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. So just don't feel that you need to come if you're not in Christ or if you've got outstanding issues that you're just not willing to deal with or you're not pursuing him today. But if you're broken and you're wounded and you just say, I am broken, I messed up, I need, I need God's help, I need reconciliation, I need forgiveness, I desire this, oh God, help me, come and partake and pray as you take part of that cup, as you partake of that bread to remember what Christ has done. We're going to ask you, we'll give some instructions in a moment, but let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for bringing Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus into our lives. May we learn from your word today. May we forgive and be re reconciled with one another, just as you, O oh God, have forgiven and reconciled us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The band is going to lead us, and as they do, encourage you to come. And, and where, wherever you're sitting, come out this way, follow the arrows, and come around and pick up like this. And so we're just going to go clockwise, I guess that is, and come and receive the Lord's Supper. And then at your seat, you may want to sit, you may want to stand, you partake when you are ready. Prepare your heart. And may this be a sweet time for you and the Lord, between him and you, and just working out your obedience that he's calling you to partake of. So partake on your own, but please come and walk this way.
uh, back to your seats.